0: This is the Commission church online.
1: Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Hey, CoFam, good morning. This is Pastor Ashish all the way from India. Just wanted to say good morning. We miss you guys at church. I cannot believe that we are missing this Sunday when Pastor Charlie Tuttle and Pastor Jennifer are in the house this morning. Hey, uh, we are so sad that we can't be there, but I wanted to quickly come on and introduce Pastor Charlie before he comes up and speaks and brings the Word of God to us. I am super excited for what God is sharing uh, today and what he has to share through Pastor Charlie today. Uh, We are watching online from India right now uh, with you guys in service. And uh, I believe that God has a word in store for our church. It's going to be a prophetic word. It's going to be a fresh word. It's going to be a word that God has in store for each one of you. Get excited. Uh, Man, Pastor Charlie is a person that is a very close friend of Sonny and I, as well as our church. He loves our church dearly. Uh, This isn't his first time speaking at our church. He has ministered before at our conference last year, and uh, man, he's going to be speaking a lot more in the future, but uh, I wanna quickly introduce him. First and foremost, he serves as one of our overseers here at Commission Church. Uh, He started serving this year as an overseer along with Mike Harper, and we're excited uh, to be under his leadership. Secondly, He also serves as the presbyter uh, of our call-in section of the Assemblies of God, of the North Texas Assemblies of God, uh, with which I am also a part and ordained with the AG, uh, as as well as our church, uh, being affiliated with the Assemblies of God as well. Uh, We're excited to be under his leadership. Pastor Charlie is such an influential voice in our community, as well as our city. Uh, and uh, so many churches that he leads and is an apostolic voice over. Uh, I cannot wait for him to speak over you uh, and in the coming months and years to speak over over our church as well. Pastor Charlie, we are so grateful. Pastor Jennifer, we're so grateful for your leadership and we thank you so much. We honor you as a church. I'm so sorry that I couldn't be there to introduce you in person. But Commission Church, uh, I want you to do me a favor. Would you please, Put your hands together and welcome Pastor Charlie Tuttle as he comes and joins us in service and brings the word to us uh, today.
0: Well, hey, Pastor Ashish, thank you for that. And uh, it's an honor just to be here in the house and uh, behind your pulpit. So we don't take that for granted. And uh, I believe that uh, if you're in authority, you are under authority. And so one of the things that I sent to your pastor today is just a text. Well, he texted me saying, thank you for being here. And I'm like, well, thank you. But, you know, I'm in submission to your pastoral authority. And uh, so I'm here under his stewardship and under his anointing and his authority. And so it's our pleasure to be with you. And thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. uh Jennifer and I, we love your pastors. We think that you guys are blessed with some of the greatest leaders in Collin County. And we see how God is working in them and through them. And we are just excited uh, to have um, a place of, of, uh, of, of just partnership with this church. And this is an amazing church. You're a leading church in our section. You say, well, we don't feel very leading doesn't matter how you feel. I'm telling you, what you guys are doing, it is making, uh, just, it's echoing across our section, and so it's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be with you today, and um, I, I want to talk to you today about what's in your stew, and so I'm going to ask our ushers if they would help us out, and uh, I brought you a gift, and uh, now now don't get, like, don't be too impressed, okay, but... Be somewhat impressed. So le- let me just test drive one of these gifts for you today. This is a spoon. This is not an ordinary spoon. This is a wooden spoon. This wooden spoon was brought to you via Amazon, okay, and it was shipped out just almost overnight. Well, not quite, but close. Now, this is no ordinary spoon. It's a 10-inch wooden spoon. It's probably good enough to stir your soup, but probably not good enough to spank or and motivate your child, let me put it like that. But I want to talk to you about what's in your student. Now, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is an incredible book because it teaches us about God's nature and our nature. And everybody's like, oh, I want to read the Word and get this deep revelation. Typically, when you read the Word, you learn about yourself. I like what Mark Twain said. He said... Um, <laughs> I was going to tell you what he said, and then I forgot what he said. <laughs> he, he said, he said it's it's not what's in, in the Bible I don't understand that bothers me. It's what's in the Bible I do understand that bothers me. And so sometimes we read the Word, and we get this image of ourselves, and we're like, ugh, you know. And so I, I like reading the Old Testament. I tell you what I really like doing is I like listening to the Old Testament. So a lot of times what I'll do is, have you ever... You know, the Old Testament's got great names, like Mephibosheth, you know. Have you ever met a kid named Mephibosheth? In fact, I thought about naming one of our kids Mephibosheth just to see. I wonder how bad they get bullied at school, (laughs) you know. No, not really. But I'm just saying, you know, you struggle through these names sometimes. You're like, man, it's just doesn't make sense, whatever. So I like to listen to it being read. And when you do that, you can activate your imagination. If you're not struggling over the language, your mind is free to picture and I, I read the Bible like a Marvel movie, you know, like Jesus walking on the water, you know, I mean, just the lightning and all this stuff going, you know, hitting the water, and the disciples like freaking out, you know, and Jesus just sort of coming across the water, and they're, they're like in a panic attack. I, I, I read the Old Testament, and I, I imagine it like a Marvel movie sometimes. Now, the text we're going into is not like a Marvel movie. It's like a really poor travel story, okay? How many of you have ever gotten really sick? Now, come on, be honest. We all have a human body here. I mean, I mean, like you're in the inner chamber with a trash can between your legs sick, okay? The sickest I think I've ever been, I was on a missions trip to Guadalajara, Mexico, and I don't know what I was in my my early 20s. I don't know what I ate. I don't know what I drank. I don't know what I breathed. But I'm telling you, I got sick. I was at a construction site in Talaquipaqui. It's called the Place of Broken Pottery. And we were building. You say, man, you got a great memory. You remember When you're this sick, you never forget the details, you know, and uh, the missionary we were working with, he just called some taxi to pick me up and take me to the hotel. You know, I can't speak the language. I took three years of Spanish and I can order off any Taco Bell menu in the country. So (laughs) I'm good. But um, but anyway, you know, they're, you know, talking in Spanish, whatever, and they throw me in the back of this taxi. Now, this is not Uber. This is this precedes Uber. Okay, this precedes cell phones. I know I don't look that old. I don't feel that old, so let's not imagine I'm that old. But it's back in, it's, it's back in you know almost prehistoric American days, all right? So they throw me in the back of this taxi, and uh, I didn't care where the guy was going to take me. If he would have took me to a field, thrown me out, shot me in the head, I would have considered it a healing. You know, I was that sick. And uh, I just remember uh, getting somebody to carry me into my hotel room they laid me down. I just remember this doctor came in, this little short Mexican doctor, Spanish doctor, and he came in. <laughs> he's got these big glasses, man, just these big dark rim glasses, and he holds up this syringe, and he goes, this is gonna make you feel better. And I remember rolling up my sleeve, and he goes, no, roll over. <laughs> you can imagine. But I will tell you, within about 12 hours, I was feeling pretty good. I was that sick. 2 Kings, I love the Bible because it just tells the the history and the stories of what happened in people's lives. And it really doesn't cut anybody any slack. It tells the good, it tells the bad. And this story, it's going to tell the gross. I've never preached out of this story. In fact, when the Holy Spirit laid this word on my heart, I struggled with it because I'm like, you know, sometimes you like to test drive stuff out in your own church. And then sometimes you like to test drive it out somewhere else before you take it home and preach it. So we're going to sort of test drive it out over here, okay? But uh, this, I've never taught out the story, but the Holy Spirit laid this on my heart. And so I want to share this story with you, and then we're going to go into the New Testament. So we're going to talk about what's in your stew. We're going to go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to read out of the ESV. And I'm going to read this story through, and then I'm going to break it down a little bit so that there's just a better understanding. Because sometimes the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek language with a little bit of Aramaic. What makes these languages interesting is the English language is an information language. That's why we have like seven different words for one thing, you know, or 17 different words for one thing, you know. You can be tired. You can be fatigued. You can be weary. I mean, you know, but the Bible, Hebrew is... It ignites your imagination. It's a picture language. Same with the Greek. So these are picture languages that when you're speaking, like when Jesus is telling a parable, it's not like what we're reading. It's what they're imagining. I mean, everything comes to life. And in the Western culture, we really miss out a lot on the Scripture Because we don't understand it. We don't understand the words, the meanings, all of that stuff. So let's take a dive into this and let's find out what's in your stew. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. Now, this is an important place, okay? We're going to touch on it in a second. But Gilgal is the entry point of Israel coming into the Promised Land. They were in Egypt for over 400 years, and God delivered them through this guy named Moses, and, and then they went through the desert for 40 years. I, it was literally an eight-day trip, but it took them 40 years to get there. You know, some, something bad happened on that deal, I can tell you that. So um, Gilgal, when you say Gilgal, I mean, it's, it's like it's the major place of action and activity. Now, we know this, there's a famine in the land. So now, here's the backdrop. There's not a lot of food. So they're going to be putting together whatever they can to eat. Sort of like, you know, you get to the end of the month, a little bit more month left than paycheck. You're, you're going into the fridge. You're going into the cupboard. You're going in the pantry. You're pulling out stuff that you didn't think you'd ever eat. But now, all of a sudden, you yeah, think I'm feeling it today. You know? So there's a famine in the land. They're going in, and they're at this major point. It it was a military operation at Gilgal. I mean, they're eight miles from Jericho. You know where they've walked around the city for seven days. You know, once a day and on seven seventh day, seventh time, the walls came down. You know, what's amazing about the walls of Jericho is the walls were over 380 feet wide at the base, over 80 feet high or wide at the top. It was about 18 stories high. People lived in the wall. They'd actually do chariot races along the walls of Jericho. So it's not like pushing over your neighbor's fence. These were walls. People lived in these walls. They were eight miles from this location. Eight miles from Jericho, they're at Gilgal. This is the place where their faith history began. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servants, Elisha's there, his mentor is Elijah. Elijah did seven major miracles that are recorded in the scripture. Elisha asked for a double portion and scripture records 14 major miracles happened through Elisha. Now the last one, was really incredible because Elisha was dead and they threw a dead guy into the same cemetery plot, the same cave that he was in. The dead body hit his bones and the dead body came back to life. Can you imagine that? How'd you like to be a witness on that? You're throwing old Fred in the cave and all of a sudden Fred comes out, hey! And you, you know, you're like, you know, freaking out. So, The sons of the prophets were sitting before him. These are the people he's mentoring. He's mentoring them in knowing God, walking with God, supernatural stuff, miracles, okay? They don't have the word like what we have. So Elisha's a major figure here. He looks at his assistant and he says, hey, we need to feed these guys. Set on the large pot. I like how this reads. So. Obviously, they had a small pot, maybe even a medium size. But he said, tonight, put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So we're not making soup. We're making stew. It's going to have some meat in it. And one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered it from its, uh, and gathered from it, a lapful of wild gourds, and came and cut them up into the pot, the large pot of stew, not knowing what they were. Have you ever eaten at this restaurant? <laughs> you order it, and it comes out, and you go, uh, I don't think this is what I ordered. You know, ah, oh, it's good, trust me, it's fine, it's fine. Well, they sent some guy out, he's picking up stuff, he didn't even know what it is. Gets a lap full of it, carries it out. Can you see him? It's like he's got his little ginsu knife, you know? Remember those on TV, you know? The ginsu knife, you know, you can change a tire with it. You can cut sheetrock with it. You can, you can cut concrete with it. And it still stays sharp. It's a Ginsu knife. I mean, this, you know, it's seen on TV. So he's got a little Ginsu. And he's got a lap full of gourds. So he's just slicing and dicing, slicing and dicing, man. And he's got it all in his stew. Now, look what happens. It's hilarious. And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. Now, just think about this. We don't know how many sons of the prophet there are. There's probably, you know, they normally had like 50, 70, 100 people, you know. So so, so just imagine, you know, all of a sudden somebody starts crying out, man of God, man of God, there's death in the pot. You know? And if this guy is more dramatic anyway, nobody's gonna believe him. You know? He's like, yeah, right. And then somebody else starts screaming it. Somebody else starts screaming it. Now, when you first read this, you really don't realize what's going on. So I'm gonna explain to you what's happening here. But let's finish out the story. And he said, and they couldn't eat it, and he said, then bring flour now when i'm reading this i'm like this makes no sense at all everybody's getting sick and eh, just throw some flour in it and he threw flour into the pot and said pour some out for the men that they may eat and there's no harm in the pot So let's dive into this story a little bit. I've already given you some cultural clarity about Gilgal. Gilgal literally means circle of stones. And it's believed that now there's more than one Gilgal in the Holy Land across that area. But this is like the oldest Gilgal. And this was a place where uh, Joshua told the elders of Israel after they crossed the Jordan River, which was in flood stage. It was over a mile wide. So think like Mississippi River. I mean, it's you know, we're, we're not talking about a little Texas stream where everybody's stepping over. and uh, we're, It's huge. And he told them to go out and get a stone for each of the tribes. So there's 12 big stones that come up out of that riverbed, and they put them down, and it, and it creates a circle. And Gilgal means circle of stones. And so they're eight miles from Jericho. The sons of the prophet refers to men who are being mentored. Now, let's talk about these wild gourds because I did a little research on this. I thought this was interesting. The wild gourds are cent- uh, centrolis, uh, let's col- <laughs> see if I can say this correctly, colonsynthes, and the effect of these gourds is so severe that in 1991, <laughs> the Federal or the, the Food Drug Administration <laughs> banned the gourd in the U.S., taking even a small amount of colon synthesis can cause severe irritation of the stomach and intestinal lining. Side effects are bloody diarrhea, kidney damage, bloody urine, and inability to urinate. Other side effects include convulsions, paralysis, and death. There's a little picture of this toxic stuff. So, I always wonder... What did they do, to the guy that put that in the stew? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, hey, don't let him cook anything again. So, I mean, they're they are like sick, sick, sick. So when they yell, "There's death in the pot," this is not an exaggeration. I mean, this is the real deal. Now, this thing about flour, ah, just. Go throw, bring me some flour and throw flour in the pie. You go, this just makes no sense at all. Some of you are going, hey, maybe this might work at the house. <laughs> Somebody cooking, doesn't taste that good. Hey, throw some, pow, some flour in those green beans. Throw some, throw some flour in those vegetables. Throw some flour. Well, here's the thing. Flour was a main staple in their worship. If you go to Leviticus chapter 2, there's this offering called the meal offering. And the meal offering was for people, no matter what economic level they were at, they could bring this offering. It was finely ground flour and oil with a pinch of salt. It was flattened out like a cake. You know? And then it was offered to the Lord, given to the priest. Now, the reason it was finally ground is because it represented... Watchman Nee did a study on this, and he said it it represents the entirety of Christ, how Christ's body was literally sown into the earth, how Christ died, how he rose again, the seed bringing fruit, Jesus saying, if you follow me, take up your cross and follow me, how the flower is ground, and it was finally ground. And so this is all a prophetic picture of Jesus. Now, what Elisha's really saying is, throw Jesus in the pot. There's death in the pot, throw Jesus in the pot. Now, here's the thing. We're not the pot. We're the stew. The stew represents us. We were all born with this nature called a sin nature. It's a nature of death. And that's why Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, he said, the thief comes, steal, kill, and destroy. He He said, everything involved with the enemy and that sin nature is nothing but death and destruction and theft out of your life. But I have come to give you life and life abundantly. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. I'm the bread that you eat. The last meal that he had with the disciples, we understand it as communion. He took the bread and he said, this bread, this is my body which is given for you. So Jesus is the flower. He's the bread. He's the healer in this story. But we're the stew. Sin nature will cause you to gather up whatever you can. You look for whatever you can find to somehow fill the famine, feed the famine inside of you. So what you really have to take a look at is you have to realize that the miracle was the manifestation, the flower, the miracle that was the manifestation of sickness and death was removed by the symbolic presence of Jesus Christ. The real miracle is not that the flower worked. The real miracle is the flower is symbolic Of Jesus and that's why I'm asking you what's in your stew what are you stirring into your life well Peter picks up on this in 2nd Peter chapter 1 so let's go there real quick to the New Testament 2nd Peter chapter 1 Peter uh, writes this he states this for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, my wife and I, Jennifer, we we do our best to live healthy. What I've learned is that the longer you live on the earth, the stronger your anointing is. If you're in Christ, you have an anointing from the Holy One, 1 John 2.20. The longer you live, the stronger that anointing grows. I'm getting ready to teach this to a group of ministers in January in South Carolina. When God wanted to start a nation, He didn't begin with a 30 year old with a 20 year old wife, 21 year old wife. It would have made sense, but He didn't. He began with a 75 year old who had a 66 year old wife, and they'd never had children. And when Abram was unable and Sarai were, were unable to conceive, the Lord just sent them out walking. And he said, I want you to walk for the next 24 years because everywhere you step, your children and grandchildren are going to own that property. So as bad as you want those kids that right now, you don't have their inheritance prepared. When God wanted to deliver a nation, he didn't send a 40-year-old warrior. He sent an 80-year-old Moses. Just think about it after Israel crossed in the Promised Land, everybody had died except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb is 80 years old and this is what he said, I'm going into the mountain country to kill the Nephilim because they remain up there. Who's with me? He's 80 years of age. So here's what I know that there comes a point in your time... See, see, right now, you guys are a lot younger than I am, professional, you got all this stuff going on. I commend you for all that. But your real season of life is not probably where you're at right now. I mean, think how boring life would be if you peaked out at, like, 32. It's all downhill from there. It's not much uphill at 32. You see what I'm saying? So everything you're going through is really for what you're getting to. You're not going through, you're getting to, but the get to means that you got the go through. And so these, and this anointing that's in your life, it grows, it gets larger, it gets greater, it gets stronger every day you're on the earth. Why do you think there's such a war against aging people in our culture? I talk to ministers all the time. I talk to people all the time. My dad's 88. He just got back from Pakistan and India in January. He goes twice a year. 88 years old doing missions work. That's after he retired from the insurance industry at the age of 65. I said, well, I got to do something with my life. So he's just three years away from spending more time in missions work than he did in the insurance industry building a career. So the reason you think you're here is probably not the reason you're here. Your purpose gets more clear and you become more productive as you age. So Peter Is now writing this, and Peter is not quite ready for death, but he's getting up there in age. Did you know that twice Paul wrote about his own death? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he wrote about his own death. He's about 35, he called it a light momentary trouble. But when he writes about it in 2 Timothy 4, he calls it a drink offering. A drink offering is the only offering that was given and required to be given that was a 40-year preparation. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God told them, I want you to give a drink offering. They said, what is that? He said, ferment wine for 40 years, and after it's 40 years of age, I'll tell you what to do with it. The drink offering was five and a half liters of wine, the same amount of blood in the average human body. It was poured out on the earth. Why? Because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It was offered in the morning with grain, in the evening with oil, symbolic of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It was not offered with a sin offering. It was a fellowship offering. It was highly fermented. It took years to get to the level it was at. And Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Bring my books and my parchments because I'm still getting revelation. But you better get here quick because what's, what's coming out of me will never come out of me again. That's why you take care of yourself. That's why Jennifer has me exercise every day. Losing weight, taking care of myself. That's why we strive to be healthy. Because the greatest level of productivity in my life was not my, in my 40s. That was my greatest level of frustration. Chaos. So where you're at's not where you're headed. Peter comes back and he says this. Let's start. I was going to start in verse 5, but I'd like to go back to verse 3. It says his divine power has granted us to all things. Think about that. The power of Jesus Christ has granted you all things. Not some things, not most things, all things. Paul says they're stored in heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. Why? So they can't be corrupted and they can be downloaded on demand. It's an interesting concept. It's right there in the scripture. How faith and grace work to create a download within you at the moment you need it not before you need it, not after it's needed, on demand. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. I want you to catch what he writes here who called us to his own glory and excellence. We live in a culture that is about our glory and our excellence, but we weren't called by Christ to such a mediocre standard. We were called to his glory and to His excellence. That's why Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Romans 8.15, we have an Abba-Father relationship. Romans 8.11, I have strength in my body through the working of the Holy Spirit. He will strengthen my mortal body. When my mortal body is not strong, it's tired, it's sick, it's whatever. I say, in accordance with Romans 8.11, body be made strong. Romans 8.11 says the Holy Spirit's in my mortal body and strengthens it. He's called us to his glory, his excellence. Get this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We would know these as the scriptures so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruptions in the world. So I'm no longer a spectator, I'm a participator, okay? Jennifer and I, we love to golf, and we just, we golf. In fact, I'm dressed for golf because after this service, we're flying to Birmingham, Alabama, And tomorrow, we're golfing. And I have golfed courses right after they've had PGA tournaments. And it's an amazing difference in the way the course is kept, all of that. But guess what? I can show up after the event, but I'm not in the event. I'm not participating because I showed up afterwards, I'm spectating. I was at the Masters, this shirt, this little yellow America with the little green golf flag. You get that when you go to the Masters. It's like golfing in a botanical garden. It's amazing. It's just amazing. If you're into golf, it's, it's like heaven. It's like golf heaven. I was talking to the Lord today, and I said, please have golf courses in heaven, please. And I, I'm going to tell you that that is an amazing experience going to the Masters. But when I went to the Masters, they didn't ask for my advice on the tee box. I was allowed to spectate but not participate. In the greatest adventure of eternity, Jesus Christ has called us to move from being spectators to participators. And he said, here's a piece of my DNA, my glory and my excellence, I'm gonna put it inside of you so that you can bring my kingdom into your community, into your world and you can show them something they've never seen before. That's why you can expect favor, promotions, Prosperity, increase. You can expect everything good that comes from God in your life. Why? Because we participate in a divine nature. Now, look at this. For this very reason, verse 5. For what reason? For the reason that we partake of excellence and glory, we are participators in the divine nature of God, manifesting the scriptures and the promises of God. They are manifested, not, not around us, they're manifested through us. Job twenty-two twenty-eight: 28, you shall declare a thing and it'll be established. Laugh and death is in the power of the tongue. Jesus said you have not because you ask not. So there's a part of our faith, this Romans 12 faith, Romans 12, three faith that was given to every one of us that I I always talk to people and say, I need more faith. I said, no, you don't need more. Just use what you got. What would happen if you, you put a full demand on the faith within you? And you just believe God. For something that you just accepted. Instead of it changing, you've just accepted it. The problem with the church in Western civilization is we accept facts more than we believe truth. So now we have this. Now look what the word, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Why? Because you are in the excellence and you are in the glory of Jesus Christ. Now make every effort to supplement your faith with, let's look at this, virtue, after virtue, knowledge, after knowledge, self-control, after self-control, steadfastness. We can just move on to the next slide. Just bring this up on the screen. Let me show this to you real quick. When you begin to stir this stuff in, these first four elements, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, let me me make it a little bit more tangible. Let me put just some handles on it. Virtue is excellence. It's the manifestation of excellence in your life. Knowledge refers to knowledge of God. Self-control is just self-control. Steadfastness means patience, stability. When you stir this in, look at this. You stir the internal you, and this forms your character. So character formation is virtue, knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness. Now, when you read this, you realize that steadfastness is like phase one, phase two. I've met people that that say that they're in faith and all this other stuff, but, but they lack stability. Have you met those people? You know, they just high in faith and low in maturity. You know, they high in faith and low in knowledge. They got a lot of zeal. And they got a lot of stupidity to go with it. And you go, I don't think so. But now what we find is that this steadfastness is patient stability. Here's what I teach our congregation. The primary ingredient of wisdom is patience. Quit praying for patience. Because when you get patience, you get tribulation. But if you ask for wisdom, You get patience. So, pray for wisdom, and you receive patience. Pray for patience, you get tribulation. It's interesting. Patience is powerful because Jesus said in Luke, uh, I want to say 17, 21, but I don't think that's right. I think it's in Luke 22. Anyway, you can Google it. It says, through patience, you possess your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Jesus saves the spirit, you, and then the Holy Spirit helps manage the soul, you, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, look at this. Stability leads us into this next part. Steadfastness leads us into this next part. Steadfastness builds spiritual and emotional maturity and unity, and this is the transitioning trait from our character to our reputation. Because now we're going to talk about what you stir into the outside, the external. What do you stir? You're going to stir steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. When you stir the external you, this forms your reputation. This is what others experience. So when I stir the internal me, when when, when I'm working on Charlie and it's virtue, knowledge, self control, and steadfastness, I'm building character. But when I cross the bridge and steadfastness, stable patience and maturity is manifested. Now I'm building steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, and now I'm forming my reputation. Let me explain this. Brotherly affection, we did this series earlier this year called Love Revolution, and it was really cool because we used, like you know, 70s and 80s love songs and introduced it. It was, it was really cool the way that we did it. But, but we talked about the different kind of love that's in the New Testament. And this brotherly love is, it literally means a friendship and a bond. But, but this love that, that is at the end of the list refers to agape love. And agape love is unconditional love. And agape love is a choice. Brotherly love is a selection. It's it's based upon who you want around you. But this agape love, it's a choice. And this is the same love that Jesus used to minister to us. It's the same love that motivated the Father to minister. And it's the same command. When Jesus said you love your enemies as yourself, you agape them. You choose to unconditionally love them. That's what other people see. And my final point out of this teaching is this stirring in these internal and external qualities of Jesus creates something different in our life. Because let's go back through this. I sort of skipped this passage. I'm going to come back into it. So it says, uh, beginning with verse 5, you know, you have these things. So make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with agape love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... You're growing in them. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. And whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted to the point that they are blind, having forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. When I stir these qualities into my life, It builds my character, it builds my reputation, but here's where it makes me different. It makes me effective, fruitful, focused, and enduring. Now, what you stir into your stew matters most, which is why you are given a spoon. Because here's my challenge for you. I'm not asking for you to do this in the next 30 minutes. But I think maybe between now and midweek prayer, Janice, if you'll come to the keyboard, please. Between now and midweek prayer, why don't you ask the Lord out of those traits what you need to be stirring into you? These are not things the Lord adds, these are things we add. This is not something I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to do in me. This is something that I am intentionally adding into my faith walk because maybe I need to grow in my character Or maybe the way that I deal with people, my reputation needs to change and it needs to get better. And so what I want you to do is I want you to find out what you need to stir in your life. Take a Sharpie, write it on the spoon, the front or the back, and find some scriptures and write those scriptures on the handle. And then when you pray, you hold the spoon in your hand. And you say, Father, I'm asking you to download wisdom, stability into my life. I'm asking for the knowledge of the Holy One. I'm asking for virtue, for internal excellence, mental excellence. I I am going against the spirit of lust or greed or corruption. It's been a part of my mindset. I remind our team of this all the time. We're not here to compete, we're here to complete. Your success has no bearing on my success. In fact, if you're successful, there's probably a better chance I can be successful because I can learn from you. I can grow. This is why I rarely look at social media. Because social media leaves me feeling as if I'm missing out. I don't need to see somebody's best moment because for the most part, it just makes me feel worse about my moment. Comparison will be the death of you. It will fuel and feed insecurity in your life and in your world. you were born an original don't die a copy or a counterfeit be the 100% you that God purposed you to be maybe part of the knowledge of God is the knowledge of God making you and purposing you God has spent more time planning your life than you'll spend living it why in the world would you think that you're not enough you may need to grow that's what this spoon is about what gets stirred into you and that's a conversation you have with the Lord so I believe in making stuff really simple so as I wrap this up Maybe you go, hey, you know, Charlie, that's great, but I I don't have this, you know, mega year relationship with the Lord. In fact, I don't even know that I have one with the Lord. You know, I I tell people, man created religion, and religion is is man-made rules about God. That's all it is. But Jesus created a relationship. He just said, come to me. That's his altar goal. He's come to me. So I remind people at our church, knowing Jesus, finding Jesus, simple as A, B, C, D. Admit that you need a Savior. That's A. Believe Jesus Christ is a Savior. That's B. Confess him as Lord and Savior. Dedicate your life to him. That's all you need. Because Jesus isn't hard. He's not difficult. So you're watching online, you're in the house. I don't, I used to really have these emotional altered moments and I'm not taking away from that. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And if there's emotion, that's great. But I, I've learned that some of the biggest, most major life-changing prayers I prayed, I prayed out of my mind and not out of my emotions. And some of the greatest answers that have come to me didn't bring feel good, but they made sense. They directed my life.
1: Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us.
0: We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.